Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Barnabas went out to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they were gathered together with the assembly and taught many people. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there should be a great famine over all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius. As any of the disciples had plenty, each determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea, which they also did, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 26. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, For a whole year they were gathered together with the assembly and taught many people. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Up to this point in the book of Acts in the history of the church, followers of Jesus had been referred to, for example, as believers, disciples, saints, and followers of the way, among other names. But now, here in Antioch, they are first called Christians. Their identity was known to outsiders as closely tied to Jesus Christ. Those who were loyal subjects of the emperor of Rome at that time were referred to as Caesareans. You see, they took upon themselves the name of their lord and king, Caesar. It makes sense that those whose king and lord was Jesus would be identified with Christ in their name. They took upon themselves the name of Jesus. If these believers were not such bold witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection, if they were not willing to publicly identify with Jesus on a consistent basis, there's no way others would have thought to even call them Christians. And the ones who coined the term or called the believers Christians could have done it mockingly or with disdain. Caesareans maybe could have called Jesus' followers Christians to identify those who weren't as loyal to Caesar as they were regardless of who came up with a name and why they did, and whether it was viewed as a positive or a negative thing, it shows that the believers in Antioch were active in their witness of an identification with Jesus. I wonder how apparent my witness of Jesus is to those around me. If I moved to a new town, how long would it take for my neighbors to know that I was a Christian? Is Jesus so central and important to who I am what I do and what I say, that my identification with him would be apparent to others? Those in Antioch were first called Christians. Their primary identity was in being attached to Jesus. Maybe some of them were carpenters or tent makers or enjoyed sports or were fathers. But those titles and identities were secondary. Jesus had the preeminence in their lives. Before those other things, They were first Christians. If a stranger spends an hour with me, what's going to be his main takeaway? That I love eating food, (laughs) which I do. That I'm a pianist, that I'm a husband, that I enjoy running. 
what about Jesus? Will he come away from an encounter with me knowing that Jesus is important to me, that I know and love Jesus? Furthermore, will he encounter Jesus in some way through his interaction with me? Unfortunately, in our American culture, the term Christian may have lost some of the same gusto it had in the days of the early church. In other words, it seems many people these days throw around the term Christian and identify with it without really understanding what it truly means to be a Christian. Someone may think, I'm a good person, so yeah, I guess you can call me a Christian. Or, yeah, I'm against people doing bad stuff, and I go to church once a year on Easter. I'm a Christian. Or I've heard, don't come to me with all that Jesus stuff. I'm already a Christian. You see, I was baptized as a baby at my parents' church, so I'm good to go. I don't read the Bible or ever go to church, but I'm a good guy, and that's enough. I think I'll make it to heaven for sure. Or here's another one. I was raised in Texas. Everybody is Christian here. It's just a cultural thing, and I'm down with it. But in truth, being a Christian isn't primarily about being part of a social club or jumping through some religious, traditional, and ritualistic hoops. There are many people these days who call themselves Christians who, let's be honest, probably aren't. Being a Christian is knowing Jesus Christ. A Christian has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and received Jesus as Lord and Savior through faith. A Christian has been regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit, born again in spirit, forgiven by God in Christ. A Christian has eternal life, not because of works done by them in righteousness, but according to God's mercy, saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. A Christian wants to follow Jesus. Are you a Christian? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven awaits you? If you have doubts, don't wait any longer to find out. You can know right now that you're saved and in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, God manifested in the flesh, came down from heaven to save us from sin and condemnation. Our dilemma is that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of our sin is death, and all sinners deserve to have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Which is the second death? We all deserve hell. But our hope is Jesus. He offers us an escape from the wrath to come and a heavenly eternal inheritance as his adopted children. This is made possible because as a perfect sacrifice, Jesus paid in full our sin debt owed to God on the cross of Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago when he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The Bible says that if we receive what Jesus did for us by faith, our sins are forgiven and we are saved. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It goes on to say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have doubts whether you are truly a Christian, whether you're saved and born again, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus.
Trust in Him alone and you will be saved. It's that simple. All right, let's finish off Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there should be a great famine over all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius. As any of the disciples had plenty, each determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea, which they also did, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so it sounds like the people took Agabus' word pretty seriously. In response to a prophetic warning about a famine in all the land, those with an abundance decided to send provision to their fellow Christians in Judea, who apparently were in need. What an act of generosity and faith in entrusting their riches to Barnabas and Saul to be given to people they didn't even know in a land far away. You see, the believers in Jerusalem were also part of Christ's body. And the Christians in Antioch saw a need within the body of Christ and tended to it. I love that they weren't stingy with their resources, like they could have reserved them specifically for the body of Christ in Antioch, or specifically for people they knew personally, or they could have reasoned that they hold on to their abundance for themselves in case the famine hits them hard as well. Instead, we see here a concern for others from afar that took precedence. I find this so commendable, as I can imagine it's hard enough for local church bodies to keep their own houses in order, right? But to do so, as well as find additional room to give beyond their immediate needs and local concerns, is beautiful. No doubt such an act of generosity had an impact on the Apostle Paul, who would later, for example, encourage the Corinthian church to have a similar heart in taking part in the relief of the saints. He made the argument in 2 Corinthians 8, 14, saying to them, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it's written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Man, it certainly takes an act of faith, right, and selflessness to send away our abundance to others. It can be easy to try and justify hoarding and stinginess by thinking, you know, I really need a little extra for a rainy day. So while our abundance rots in the food storage or just sits in the bank, someone else in need suffers. It takes faith to say, I'm going to put someone else's needs first. I may be taking a chance that doing this may compromise my security, maybe will cause me to be in need at a later stage. But I can trust that as I have done this to others, God will repay it back to me in my time of need. I personally find it hard at times to receive from others. I think it takes a certain amount of humility to give away our abundance at a certain time, only to later have to receive from others their abundance. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. There's a certain unification and bond when the body of Christ sacrificially loves and serves each other. Let's not isolate, but rather take part in the blessing of sharing with those in need. If we don't have an abundance financially, perhaps we can also consider giving through time and service, 
through praying for others, and through developing and utilizing our spiritual gifts to serve the church and edify one another.
That was Believe and Confess from the Adams Road album, Great Commission. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures, he makes me lie down. Beside still waters, I am found. He prepares the table for me, anoints my head with oil, He restores my soul, my cup overflows, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, He is here. the door. From the Adams Road album, It's So Simple. 
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. 
Feel free to join us next episode as we examine Acts chapter 12. Grace and peace be with you all.